0: Good afternoon to everyone. Uh, This is the first episode of my podcast Hospitality 101. Uh, This was mainly an idea that we had with a group of friends of mine. However, we were all working together in the same place a long time ago. Uh, Now we are all in different parts of the world, in different continents, Uh, so obviously we cannot make the podcast together anymore. However, the idea was there and when we tried to do it, uh, the idea is actually something that it was very appealing to me and for all, for all of us, however, of course, uh, we cannot make it anymore, it was very difficult to try to coordinate our schedules uh, to try to do it even on the distance, because, well, as you can guess, uh, we all work in the hospitality business. So you know, the idea was there and I just decided, okay, uh, maybe one day, I'm gonna do it myself because uh, I was the one who had done the music and all the text stuff to to design the, the podcast in that time. So all the things were left there: all the music, all the idea, all the you know, pictures, and, and even the cover of the podcast. So I said, okay, maybe I can try to do it myself to see how it goes. Uh, and it's also awesome also because. Uh, you can have some time for yourself just speak about whatever you want and maybe some people will actually hear it. So, uh, that's why I've decided to start this podcast. Uh, for those who don't know me, it is probably the majority of people who are listening to this podcast. My name is Yaleska. I am 25 years old Venezuelan, soon to turn 26. I, I, I am a hotelier. I've been working in hospitality business for a fair amount of maybe 4-5 years, more or less, professionally speaking. I graduated in 2016 in Hospitality in Hotel School in Venezuela, back in my country. So you can say that maybe it's around seven to almost eight years working in this business already. I've was, I was always been working in the uh, F&B business since I started up. It's the one that I'm more attracted to since I started my career. My career. Uh, not that I'm not interested in other departments, mostly because uh, fmb you can find the the fun in it more or less for those who doesn't know who fmb is is food and beverage that's how we call it in in the hotel business so there is one i wanted to start this podcast is because well the, the reason why i came the idea with my friends is because we have a bunch of stories uh, that we consider might be interesting to hear for those people that you know fellow fellow hoteliers our fellow colleagues who you know they they obviously might understand our, our, our stories because they probably have lived something similar themselves and for people who has no clue what happens behind the scenes in a hotel they can realize and be witness of how much drama and nonsense you can find actually in the hallways of a hotel when you go back of the house so there's a bunch of stories of stories that i have uh i mean million of them, if I'm honest with you. Uh, the main reason why I think we have a very particular stories is because we have developed ourselves, our professional growth, mainly in the Middle East. Uh, for you guys to know my story a little bit, I graduated, like I said, in 2016 from Hotel School Venezuela, uh, back in December 2016. During that time, I was already applying to get an internship in uh, in different places, not just an internship, but uh, just like a work as a outside of Venezuela. <clears throat> as you might know, or you might not know, uh, Venezuela has had a really uh, tough time when it comes to the political and economic situation, not only during that year, which, uh, which was a very specific, uh, tough and difficult year but uh since nineteen ninety eight, more or less, since uh, there was a big political change in the head of the state department, uh things got very really rough for everyone sound and gradually became a very difficult place to live in. So I was I was convinced that I had to leave my country in order to not not just to fulfill my goals and, and 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 dreams and to become that person that I wanted to be, uh, but because also I knew that I had to support uh, my family and I knew that uh, by staying in Venezuela I was not going to be able to do that. And I I, I didn't feel like I had to do it because it was like an obligation to support my family. I just did it because uh, it was the right thing to do and I wanted to do it. So that's why I I took the decision since early on when I started to study in hospitality. to look for a for a job uh, position abroad, outside of Venezuela, so I was applying for different places. Uh, mainly, I started to do it uh, through LinkedIn, the web page. And I remember it was through LinkedIn that I found this job position in Marriott. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember what was the position. I think it was a server position or something like that. And I remember the link that it was in the LinkedIn of uh, page. He directed me at, uh, to the Marriott webpage. It was uh, this webpage where all the job offers were from the Marriott company. And of course I discovered a whole new bunch of possibilities to, to try to apply for, for a job in hospitality business. No? So, uh, you know, I applied a million times to a million jobs. Obviously I got turned down many times uh, because of my nationality. Uh, I applied for nine places in Europe, uh, however, when you don't have a European passport, it's very difficult for you to, to actually get a job in Europe itself, especially, you know, with our passport, Venezuela can cause some controversy, even though back then the, the immigration, it wasn't uh, that big as it is now. Uh, however, even back then we had some sort of difficulties, but I never gave up, I keep applying. I was convinced that I was going to make it. And eventually I remember one day I had an interview, I got a, an email uh, from this, I uh, think it was the director of FB. I honestly cannot remember his name, but he was from this cartoon, Jumeirah, in, um, in Dubai. And I remember he was interviewing me he, for a hostess position, uh, which I had never played a role before in Venezuela. But I was really excited. I said, okay, actually, I nailed the interview, so let's see how it goes. I had no clue what to expect. I had no clue uh, how to behave. Luckily, I wasn't really fluent in English back then, uh, but I still, uh, you know, it was the first time I was having an interview in English. It was the first time I was interacting longer than uh, five to ten minutes with an a English-speaking person in a conversation. So I was always very nervous. I remember I got all suit up. The interview was at 6 in the morning uh, in my country. It probably around 12 or 11 in the morning in Dubai, if i not mistaken, around maybe 2 p.m. And it went actually pretty good. I remember, uh, you know, the guy was very, very em- empathic, very friendly, and uh, I think he could see that it was my first interview because he was uh, very friendly with me. And it went well. Uh, actually, at the end of the interview, he offered me the job directly, uh, but then he asked me uh, if I had the, the opportunity to go and take the position directly. Uh, and i told him that i was not able to do it because back in that time it was october my graduation was coming in december so i was telling that i was looking forward to just uh, graduate first and then i could reach in dubai and he obviously said that they needed the position to be covered immediately so uh, he just apologized and thanked me for the interview and for my time and then he said that he was not going to continue with the process so i'm not gonna lie the beginning was a boomer for me because uh i was expecting to get a job (laughs) right away uh but I remember the, the moment I put the computer down, and I put my earphones down, I actually felt kind of good. I said, well, you know, I didn't get a job, but uh, it wasn't because I wasn't good, it just wasn't because it was a timing a schedule thing. So I am going to keep trying, I'm gonna keep uh, applying for jobs, so maybe I'm gonna get an offer soon. And I remember for December that year after, or it was the, like actually during the week of my graduation, I got two of two offers, uh, sorry, two interviews for a position. One of them was for Abu Dhabi, one of them was for Qatar in Doha. Um, and it was for the same company, one of them was for Marriott Courtyard, uh, and one of them was for Drift's Cards in Doha. And one of them, the one for Marriott in Abu Dhabi, it was for server position, and the one for Doha was for an interposition. position. I remember when I got the interview for both of them. It watched pretty much the same time. Um, I got the offer letters right away uh, from both of them. Sorry, I'm not going to lie. Sorry, I got actually the offer letter from Abu Dhabi first and Ritz-Carlton Doha. They actually, they delay a lot of time uh, before I got the offer letter. And... Abu Dhabi was quick to send everything to me. So, you know, the benefits were there, you know, everything that you could see, the salary, the, the tickets were there. It was something that I was really worried about because I didn't know if the company was covering my tickets because I obviously couldn't spend, uh, <laughs> couldn't afford to spend and to buy the ticket from Venezuela to Abu Dhabi, uh, which was something I was really worried about. And I remember for three days, I was still waiting for the offer from, from Doha to see just to compare because for me obviously it was the first time uh, having the job offer from from Middle East and I didn't know what to expect. So uh, normally I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with it, when you get a offer letter here, you have at least only three days to answer to the, to the offer letter, otherwise it will be um, not effective. Uh, they will just uh, not count on that offer letter anymore. So. I have. I was feeling very pressured because I was waiting for the Doha one, and on the second day, I received the the offer letter from Doha. And after that, I compared everything. Obviously, the offer from Doha was way less uh, when it comes to salary wise uh, compared to what's happening in Courtyard in, in Abu Dhabi. However, for some reason, I just felt like Doha was the right option to go. Uh, and to be honest, I'm not sure why I actually ended up choosing that one because when I was, like previous to applying to all of these job offers and everything, I was really eager to go to Abu Dhabi for some reason or other, I was really feeling like that was a place I had to go to. Uh, you know, I guess it's because of the movies and the pictures and everything, so I just feel like, man, Abu Dhabi is really the place to be. Uh, but then, I don't know, for some reason, uh, I just decided to go to Doha, and it's funny because when I was doing research for Doha, which was something that I was actually not avoiding to do because I didn't get too, I didn't want to get too anxious about uh, the, the decision making. I mean, already, I already was very nervous before because of, all of the process and how things will turn out. So I was really trying to minimize my research about the places and everything, even the hotel. But for some reason, I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna take the Qatar over, and and just for you guys to know, like to put in perspective, how crazy my decision was. The only thing I knew about Qatar in that moment it was that it was going to held the World Cup in 2022. That's the only thing I knew, and I didn't know anything about, uh, I don't know the the population, the language, uh, about the how strict the culture was, or anything else. And it was a risk because the internship was only for six months, but I ended up saying my mom, my all my family, my sisters who were there with me <laughs> that that whole week that I was very nervous too. I said, well, actually, I'm gonna sign for the, for the Doha offer and let's see just how it goes. So I remember I feel really bad afterwards. It was my first time rejecting a yacht offer. Uh, actually you know if you think about the whole thing it was a very blessed uh, process you know I, I got the chance to decided to if I had to live to in between two job offers uh, to you know uh, pursue a, a job opportunity abroad and uh, professional growth outside of my country while most of my colleagues and a lot of people that I in my country that were actually f- trying to find a way to to just, I don't know, get a ticket to go to a different country or even walk to a different country. So, you know, the whole thing was a blessed thing, which is something I'm really grateful to this day. But anyways, yeah, I decided to go to Doha and that was March, 2017. I actually flew. I don't remember exactly the day. I do remember it was a very, very crazy flight. Uh, I mean, first of all, of course, uh, you get very emotional. I didn't want to make my suitcase now because, not because I was uh, sad. Just because, I mean, I think it was a little bit sad also from my my house. But it didn't like hit me from that moment. Uh, I was mostly like, not knowing what to pack because I mean, uh, I was leaving my country basically. Uh, I was about to become an immigrant, uh, and I honestly didn't know what to pack. Like I mean, if I could pack my whole room I will do it but uh, I only had one suitcase so I remember I packed like one night before I was leaving to the capital to go to the airport. Uh, I I don't remember what I packed I think I mostly packed clothes and which I didn't have much and a uh, couple of boots and yeah I was good to go. I remember clearly the night before my flight I was sleeping with my mom and You know, there's a lot of emotions going through your head. I remember I was just laying with her in the bed, and uh, my mom, she told me, she whispered to my ear, "Uh, you know, this time, tomorrow, you'll be in a different country, you know. And it was crazy. I was thinking, like, yeah, that's that's really crazy, you know. But, yeah, uh, I tried to be, like, just to hold my emotions. I didn't want to get emotional, to be honest. And I remember on my way to the airport that day, I was really quiet. I was just, like... I didn't want to speak. My yo- my sister, she was trying to make jokes on the side uh, because everyone was like really quiet in the car. I guess because we were like all anxious and nervous about what was about to happen. Uh, but I was really quiet. I didn't want to speak, you know. I was like teary eyes under my sun- sunglasses. I was wearing shades that day. And uh, yeah, well, we made it to the airport. I remember it was a huge line. I think it was for a flight for, I don't know, the U.S. or something like that. And luckily for my flight, there was no one waiting online, so it was really quick. Uh, I remember, you know, the guards that asked me, you know, why are you going to Qatar or you know, those all the, all kind of nonsense, nonsense questions. Uh, if anyone has ever traveled to Venezuela, uh, the airport is, has the worst security in the whole world, and they will try to do all kind of things to you in order for them to get money. Luckily, nothing happened to me and after that uh i think we ate something in the food court i'm uh, not really sure uh my dad was there my mom was there my aunt was there too my sister and uh right after that we got to say goodbye in the right before immigration and it was really tough i mean i remember my mom she didn't i mean she was holding the tears my dad also was holding the tears my sister was also holding tears everyone's holding tears even myself you know and even till this day i really don't know how i did it because i mean it it was like really one of the last times i was going to see in a long time i was going to be miles away from them but i did it and i remember i entered immigration and i remember like next to us it was you know a lot of people just saying goodbye to their loved ones and all of them were crying i was just trying to hold my tears oh my god i'm gonna cry over here but yeah, that happened and then I just went to immigration. And well, yeah, the, that's when the, the real story started and began. I do remember my sister, she told me that after we left and my mom, she was in the car, she was crying all the way back to our city and that really just broke my heart back then. But yeah, that's the whole story. So I get into the plane. I remember I was waiting for my for my flight to to take off and obviously, like everything happened in most of my things in my country, it was a delay of three hours for some reason. I think it was something about the, the fuel or something else. I just remember that it was a three hours delay, and I remember people was uh, like celebrating in the plane because they got like free drinks from the stewardess because uh, the later to compensate the bad experience. The fly was. Full of Turkish, Arabic people, and also Russians, a lot of them. Uh, I actually was was a little bit shocked because I didn't know we have so many people like that uh, from that nationality in my country. But I remember I was lucky enough to travel with two Venezuelans next to me. They were like young people, really nice people, and we ch- shot all the way through the flight. Uh, finally, we took off after three hours, and I remember I had I tried to sleep the whole flight it was a very long flight from Venezuela to Turkey. I think if, if I'm not mistaken that was a twelve or twelve to thirteen hours flight. Uh and then obviously when we landed in Turkey, uh, I was supposed to just make the connection from Turkey to Doha. When we landed there it was really, really a very chaotic experience. One of the worst <laughs> memories that I have uh because Obviously, because the flight had a delay in Venezuela of three hours, I only had one hour uh, gap time to make the connection from Turkey to Doha. So obviously, when I landed in Turkey, I landed with a three-hour delay, and I had lost my flight. So not, I, I was not the only one who was making the connection. A lot of people was doing the connection to a different flight. And when we landed in the airport, you had this bunch of people, I think it was around I don't know, probably 40 to 50 people jailing in the counter of the airline uh, because they were really unhappy that uh, things had happened and they wanted to know what would be the next step to take the next flight. And I was one of them, but the thing is that there was so much servants in the, in the counter that I really didn't know where to go, what to do. Uh, in the middle of the whole thing i reached in the counter one of the agents and he tells me well listen you cannot sort this thing out because unfortunately the agency that had my connection flight was a different agency with the with the one that i flew from when to turkey so he told me we cannot solve the issue for you you need to go to a different uh, agency uh, which was qatar airways and they will sort it out for you because we cannot do anything basically the guys were really stressed out and they didn't want to just, just Kick me out of there. I remember there was an American lady, she was just shouting at them, like, I mean, uh, excuse my French, but they were saying, oh, you guys are really just motherfuckers. You don't know what to do. And I remember one of the ladies, the agents from the uh, agency, she just turned back on her and started to insult her, like, you are the motherfucker, you are the motherfucker. And yeah, it was a pretty big show. We all were watching then, and I was, in that moment I realized, okay, I have to leave this place, otherwise it would be a fist, fly, fist fight and I don't want to be a part of it. So anyways, I was already very nervous uh, because I didn't know exactly what to do, but I said okay, well, you know, you just have to calm down, uh, you have to sort this thing out. And yeah, just do as he said to you go to the Qatar Airways counter and then uh, you know, you will maybe find a solution for this. So I went to the counter. Uh I remember that airport in Istanbul was huge. I cannot remember the name of the airport, but I just remember it was huge and I was a little bit lost. Uh trying to find the counter. I remember I asked a million people where the counter was. No one knew about it. One person, one security guard, he told me, yeah, I need to go this way and find it. Eventually, after one hour, two hours even, I found the counter. I was starving. I was thirsty. I was tired. I needed to get a shower. It was only 14 hours after I leave in Venezuela. Uh, so I managed to find the counter and I explained the situation to the to the agent and they, you know, they looked the paper, they looked the the... The tickets, they heard me out of the situation, but they said afterwards really quickly, "Listen, we cannot help you because uh, we are not the ones who who are handling this ticket or something like that. uh You need to go directly to the Qatar Airways office, the main one in the in the airport, but unfortunately, they're not working today. they are working tomorrow morning, and you just need them because they are the ones who need to sort out the situation for you because the connection flies with them. So by that time I was a little bit freaked out already because the, I mean she had told me the, the 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 agency was going to open the next day, and it was really like I think it was uh, probably five to six p.m. in that moment. So I was really freaked out by that time. I honestly didn't know what to do. I had barely enough money to try to make it to Doha. I mean if I had four hundred dollars in my pocket, uh, it was. It was a thing more than i had actually so i really didn't know what to do and in that moment i remember i had printed all the kind of like the emergency numbers of the contacts that or what was people waiting for me in doha i remember i contacted my fmb director the one who had interviewed me for the job and i went to this public telephone and i I pay a few dollars. Not sure how much I pay for it. I remember I had to buy something in Starbucks and to get the the Turkish currency. And I called them. I explained to them like, listen, uh, I didn't know, how to call. Uh, I was trying to call the HR uh, assistant. And she didn't answer the phone. I just am stuck here in Istanbul. I lost my flight. Uh, please, if you can just inform her about my situation, I just wanna be very grateful. Luckily, in that moment, he was writing from the HR office, and he put me on the phone The Abigail, who was the name of the assistant of HR, and you know, she was telling me, "Hey, what happened? We're waiting for you." And telling him, "Listen, this is happening. Uh, I know I was supposed to be there by now, but I lost my flight. Uh, there's a situation with the agencies. I cannot get my connection flight to a, to a different flight. Uh, please just tell me I don't know what to do." And she just said, no, oh, actually, yes, uh, uh, thank you for telling me. Uh, don't worry, I will get a new flight for you. I'll book it, just uh, I'll send a new ticket on your email, just wait for it, and then, you know, hopefully we'll fly by tonight. And um, I was very relieved when I heard that. I said, okay, she's going to do it. She's going to just handle the whole thing. Uh, and then just uh, going to deal with it, she's going to wait for it. And luckily, you know, things will be fixed and we'll be able to go to Doha Hawaii tonight. Uh then after that I remember I just had a call and I I called my sister, my middle one sister, uh because I knew back home they're probably gonna be very worried. Uh you know, they were supposed to be in Doha already by that time and they were waiting for my at least my message from them to let them know that I was okay. So I just called my sister really quickly, I think it was like a less than thirty seconds call because of course it was an expensive call to, to call to, to internationally. Uh, and I remember I told her, uh, you know, just, I'm, I'm fine, like just let them know that I'm okay. I'm in Istanbul, I'm stuck here, and am trying to get a ticket. Uh, I called the company, they're trying to help me, just let them know, let my mom and my dad know and my family know that I'm okay, I'm um, here in Istanbul, you know. And I remember, I, was, I don't know, my voice my my, my was kind of breaking in that moment, I think I was a little bit scared overall. Uh, I remember when I hand up the phone, uh, I was a little bit teary, I was like, no, no, just okay, everything's gonna be fine. I think it's just like the, I was just overwhelmed by the whole situation. Like, it was the first time for me to try to handle a situation like this. You know, And you were in a different country, in a foreign uh, language, uh, I mean, everything was a little bit scary, you know, overall. But, you know, I just tried to listen and I remember what uh, the lady from HR told me, like, just okay, relax, I'll listen to the ticket. And that's when, why, when, I remember I went to this cafe to try to get Wi-Fi because, uh, as, I mean, as you know, in most of airports in the whole world, there's no Wi-Fi. So you have to just uh, pay for it somehow. I sat down and luckily after a few minutes, I got the flight ticket from the company and I had a flight from IPN that day, if not mistaken. So I was arriving in Doha probably like around one in the morning. It was a four hour four hours flight. and. I remember I was very tired, I was very hungry. Uh, The reason why I was very hungry is because uh, maybe, I mean, there's something also that you don't know about me, but uh, I get really motion sickness in the airplanes and maybe mostly like all the things that move, like cars and trains and and buses and everything. So that's why there's someone I try not to eat. So obviously during the flight, I didn't eat anything for 12 hours. When I landed, I hadn't had the chance to eat anything. Uh, Well, because first of all, I was very really worried about anything, and I didn't want to eat anything uh, before the flight because I knew I was going to uh, get uh, uh, nauseous, maybe vomit. So I just wanted to, okay, I just want to go home. I want to get there and take a long shower. It was almost one day that was already out of my country. Um, I just wanted to get there and get some rest. So I was just praying to God by that moment, like, God, please just let this flight to be as smooth as possible uh, so i can just land in doha and everything will be just fine and luckily it was Uh, we got into the plane It was a very empty flight Uh, i think it was like i don't know 10 to 20 passengers not more than that uh we got to Doha. i didn't sleep in the plane i just my head was very open at that moment it was just still thinking about the whole situation that just went through and finally when we landed in doha it was a like i said a very short line for immigration, and <laughs> I remember when I was in the line, which is also one of the funniest stories that I have uh I was just you know taking my passport out to prepare to get into immigration and I see one one guy one uh, tall uh, kind of like a brown guy uh, a little bit you know a little bit buff guy, he l- stares at me and he says my name. And he says in a perfect uh, Spanish and Venezuelan accent, "Yaleka." And then I look at him, and I remember that uh, in the email that Abigail sent me for the ticket, she had said to me that Eduardo and me we both lost the flight to get to Doha because we were going the same flight in the same flight from Venezuela to Turkey. Uh, therefore, we both missed the flight. And I said, Well, who's Eduardo? Uh, I mean, I didn't know who he was. I thought it was a Portuguese guy because, you know, normally that's a and then you will give to a Portuguese person. Um, but I didn't know who he was. So the moment he said hello to me, I said, Well, you know, he's, he's probably a fellow Venezuelan because of the accent. And if we probably came from the same flight and we probably went through the same situation. So as soon as he said to me, Yaleska. I said to him, Eduardo, and then he said, yes, I'm Eduardo, and I said, okay, well, nice to meet you, and we went to the line in the immigration flight, so I knew, you know, we were going to work together in the same company, obviously, because uh, we got the same email from the same lady from HR, so everything went smoothly, thankfully, in the immigration, and, you know, he was tired, I was really tired, Uh, we just say, hello, nice to meet you, Uh, how's everything, and we were waiting for our suitcase, and next thing you know, neither of our suitcases arrived. We were the last one waiting for uh, the suitcase, but we never saw it in the in the treadmill. And then uh, I remember one security lady; she, she came to us very nicely, and she asked us, uh, "You can see your suitcase? Uh, have you seen anything in here?" And we said, "No, uh, we don't see it. We don't have nothing." And yeah, after that we went to security to try to give our, our whole information so they can track the suitcase with the, the luggage with the company. Fly and see. To be honest, at that time I could have I really couldn't be more stressed or more uh, I don't know worried about anything. I just really I was just so tired. I just really want to get there uh, to you know the accommodation with the hotel and tried to get a few hours of sleep uh, luckily i remember my sister in venezuela as a prank she put this huge poster like big paper poster in my suitcase that uh, with my full name and a big drawing of me saying like from venezuela to doha and she put like my name and everything and my civil id so i had taken a picture of that suitcase before just to make fun of it and luckily i could use that picture after to give it to the agency for them that, for them to track my, my luggage so at the end it was a good thing that my sister did. Uh, But yeah, after that, I remember we just went out and there was this gentleman waiting for us for the whole time. He looked very tired also. His eyes were really red. Uh, It was very late at night. It was almost 2 a.m. in the morning in Doha. They were waiting for us since before, but of course, this whole situation had delayed the issues, so we have to get there a little bit later. So after that, you know, he was actually very nice with us. Uh, I remember I bought the SIM card to... To try to communicate with my, my relative after that he drove us to he drove us sorry to the accommodation uh, eduardo and myself in the meantime we trying to just uh, have a nice conversation we we're talking about a few things i really don't remember what's the conversation about but i remember i was trying to have a look around the city uh, and the whole uh, landscape to see what i can find uh, i remember everything seemed to me you know just full of sand and uh, the small houses and then eventually we got to the accommodation i remember before that uh this gentleman from the company he was very nice he even offered us like hey, you guys want to buy something in the pharmacy i don't know you want to buy, i don't know uh, soap toothpaste uh, toothbrush because he knew also that we didn't have any luggage with us so he was trying to like Give us everything so we can uh, at least buy a few things. And then I remember he offered to buy some food for us, uh, and he bought me uh, a very nice chicken sandwich that became quickly uh, favorite of mine as soon as I landed in Doha. And after that, he dropped us in the accommodation. He you know he showed me the apartment. It was a very nice accommodation. Uh, it was even better than I could expect. It was a very nice, this huge flat. All furnished. It was this huge TV, this huge sofa set, a dining room table. The kitchen was huge as well. And obviously, by the time I got there, all my roommates, my roommates were the my flatmates were sleeping. My roommate was sleeping as well. And yeah, I remember just got there. He told me, "Okay, just try to get some sleep, and tomorrow morning HR will probably just contact you to see sort things about the situation." And I remember. He left, and I, I I only was carrying a backpack with me, with uh, the essential stuff, but at the same time, not so essential, I didn't have any clothes with me. So I remember I got into the shower. Uh, I remember the washing machine in the house wasn't working at that moment. Uh, you know, I was pretty lucky during that day. So I couldn't wash the only clothes that I was wearing uh, in the washing machine, so I just had to go inside the shower and wash everything by hand there. Uh, and I remember by that time, I didn't Figure out how the shower was working, uh, so I had to basically just bend in and shower in a very small leak of water, and after that I finally got to lay down in bed and I finally got to close my eyes. Uh, I was so tired, really, and I remember I just texted my mom and my sisters, like my family, that I made it safe and sound. I will tell you the story tomorrow because it's a really long story, everything that happened, uh, but yeah, I'm safe and sound here, and uh, that's what matters. So yeah, it was a long story as you can see. It wasn't easy to get out of my country. Uh, I mean, it involved so many things and so many years. Uh, But eventually I did it, and I was very happy that everything went well. Uh, And then I remember the next morning after that, they were actually very nice from HR department. Uh, The accommodation director, she she has heard that Either Eduardo or myself, we didn't have any clothes, so she was very kind. She gave me a few of her clothes. Luckily, I was fitting in those clothes. Uh, the company they gave us uh, this towel, and like this kit for try to you know cope while we try to find the luggage. And yeah, it was. Uh, I remember I was sitting in the office over the next day, and I was just telling the whole story. And yeah, they were just cracking up because really the whole thing. You know what you were living in—it wasn't a good story to live in. I mean, it was very panicking story. But then after that, you got to laugh about it uh, and look at it in the in a funny story. So yeah, that's how I got into the Middle East. Uh, it was my first time, the city in Doha. And you know, it beside like, even though I have like a really bad experience getting there, I was really excited to start the work. I was really excited to to get to know the city, you know? I mean, I was really just miles away from my country. I never actually thought I was going to make it that far. And I feel really accomplished when I got there. Uh, so yeah, that's the story when I got to Doha. Uh, so yeah, uh, it was a long story. I think my my mother was really tired to talk about the story. It was funny to remember it. Uh, I'm probably gonna talk about the story of how I started to work in Doha later on and how everything went well. In the hotel itself and how, uh, how I learned how to cope with the Arabic culture, uh, maybe we'll do it in the next episode for now, which I'm gonna leave it until here. Thank you for hearing this podcast, thank you for hearing the story. If you made it all the way this far, I hope you had liked the story, I hope you uh, been able to understand me. I speak very fast, that's something that I probably had to say at the beginning of the video uh, as a disclaimer, sorry, of the podcast, not the video. As a disclaimer, uh, but yeah, if you made it this, this far, uh, thank you for uh, listening to me. I hope you had liked the story. I hope you uh, follow me on Spotify, on Apple How hope you rate me as well, five stars if you like it. And uh, we'll see you, we'll, we'll hear out in the next episode. Have a great day, have a great evening, have a great night, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you.